Amen. Well, the, the title of this message is, What is the Key to Knowing God Intimately in These Last Days of Lawlessness? How many all know that we're living in last days of lawlessness? You can see it now. You can see things that are taking place that, as a believer that is reading the Bible, can see that there is Bible prophecy coming to pass to every jot and tittle. I mean, it is exactly the way God said it was going to happen. It's happening. Because He knows the end from the, end from the beginning. The Bible, you see, when the Bible was written over a 1,600-year period, over 25% of it was prophetic, which means it foretells the future with 100% accuracy. There's no other book on planet Earth that can even attempt that. And so, therefore, for those that mock the Word of God, those that say that this Bible is full of inconsistencies and contradictions, the Bible is not full of contradictions. This Bible, when you read it, it contradicts you. It helps you know that you have faults, and the only way that you're going to get through those faults is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says in John 14, 6, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There's no other way. Acts 4.12 says, For there is no other name given among men on where we might be saved other than the name of Jesus. So based on Bible prophecy, it is very, very important in these days that we're living in for every individual, including professors that, that profess to be wise, to pick this book up and understand what God is saying to the people that, that are living in the world today. So let me start with this scripture in Matthew 24, 12 through 13. You'll see there'll be some scriptures up on the board, but this one isn't. The Bible says, Jesus says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. What's he saying here? He's saying you have to endure. You see this just saying one sinner, a one-time sinner's prayer and inviting Jesus into your life and going back living your old life, that is absolutely, you will not find any, anything in Scripture that will back that up. It's a relationship. But he says you have to endure. So understand that falling down doesn't make you a failure. Staying down makes you a failure. If you fall, you just get back up and keep pushing the plow and don't look back. You see, the Apostle Paul... He gave us some very sobering predictions about man's condition to describe the times that we're living in today. And this is what he wrote. And I'm going I'm to read this from New Living Translation. It says, In the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will be lovers of themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what, what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than love God. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1-5. through 5. You see, the most sobering, tr sobering truth is that Paul's not describing society towards the end. He's describing the church. For he says, they will act religious, but
but they re, they'll reject the power that could make them godly. What's he talking about? He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, but most importantly, he's talking about the fear of the Lord. You see, they will frequently attend church, hear God's word, talk God's word, boast in their saving grace of the Lord, but will reject the power that could make them godly. The answer is simple. It's the very grace of God of which they boast. For the past several years, I've encountered individuals who believe they are true followers of Christ. They, they, they basically excuse their disobedience by marking everything off as covered by God's grace and His love. You see, grace is unmerited, and it does cover our sins, but not in the manner that so many have been taught. You see, God's grace is not an excuse. It's an empowerment for your life and for mine. Listen, listen, Lucifer was the lead worship angel in heaven before God's throne. He was anointed, beautiful, and blessed, but he didn't fear God, and he didn't endure forever. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of God's glory. They fellowship with God, but they did not fear God. And so therefore, they didn't endure forever. A third of the angels who surrounded God's throne and saw His glory, think about that. They didn't fear Him, and they didn't endure forever. In the Old Testament, Eli and his two sons, Eli was the high priest, his two sons, acting as priests and leaders, defiled themselves by sleeping around with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting, 1 Samuel 2.22. These guys were right in the face of God doing this. They didn't fear Him. They didn't think. You see, you've got to understand something in the Bible. Judgment denied is not judgment, or judgment delayed is not judgment denied. Judgment delayed is not judgment denied. The Bible says in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 2.22, he says, Therefore the Lord of God of Israel, I said, this is what God said, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me, so he's changed his mind. Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor those who despise me, be lightly esteemed. And so God said that all the members of your family will die before their time. And it happened, just as God said it would. Judas, one of the twelve, walked and talked with Jesus. He saw the miracles, felt his power. Jesus even commissioned Judas as part of the twelve to have power with unclean spirits, to cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. But he loved money rather than he loved God, and he betrayed Jesus with 30 pieces of silver and went out and hung himself. Why? He didn't fear God. He didn't endure forever. You see, when the doctrine of the love of God is not balanced with an understanding of the fear of God, error is the result. Likewise, when the fear of the Lord is not balanced by the love of God, we have the same results. This is why Paul exhorts us to consider the goodness and severity of God in Romans 11.22. You see, notice how God is both kind and severe. This is what he says. He is severe to those who disobey, but kind to you as you continue to trust in his kindness. But, there's that word but, if you stop trusting 
also you will be cut off. In Jeremiah 32, 38, 40, God said, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart, one way, that they may fear, my, fear me forever. For the, for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they will not depart from me. Notice God doesn't say, I will put my love in their hearts so they will not depart from me, but he will put his fear in their hearts. You see, this, this lack of balance overpowers our reasoning until we feel at complete liberty to disobey God whenever it is inconvenient or not to our advantage. Even as we sin, we assure ourselves and quiet our conscience with a shrug and a thought, and it goes something like this. God's grace will cover this, for He loves me, and He understands how tough life can be in this new era that we're living in, in 2017. And He wants me to be happy no matter the cost, right? You see, understand, although grace covers it is not merely a cover-up. It goes far and beyond that. You see, God's grace is His empowering presence within us to do what truth demands. God's grace enables and empowers us to live a life of holiness and obedience to the authority of God and His Word over our lives, to walk out His perfect will for our lives. If you guys got Hebrews 12... 14, if you could put that up there for me, please. All right, thank you. The Bible says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Hebrews 12.28 says, Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This isn't describing a mere cover-up grace. You see, but the force that empowers you and I to serve God acceptably with due reverence and godly fear in these days that we're living in and to live a sinless life is the fear of God. This is why Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see how holiness is coupled with the fear of God? This is the key. This is the key to the title of this message. Live in an intimate relationship with the Lord. This is the key. You see, you're going to serve whom you fear. If you fear man, you'll serve man. But if you fear God, you'll serve him. You'll serve him with all your heart, with all your strength, with your, all your mind, with everything you have. Why? Because when you walk in the fear of the Lord and you walk in intimacy with him, you'll be terrified to leave his presence. You don't want his presence to leave you. That's why King David writes in the Psalms, he said, Search my heart, O God, and know if there's any anxiety in me or, or if there's any sin in my life. 
because he knew his life was an open book before God. He knew that he couldn't hide from God. And in fact, when you read Psalms 139, he even says that. He says, no matter where I go, I can't hide from you. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I go in the, deep, the, the, the darkest place of a closet, you're there. He knows. And so therefore, that's why the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, because he knew that the only way to intimacy with God was to walk in the fear of the Lord, and he did. Did he have mistakes? Absolutely, he did. But he didn't go down and he, he didn't get on his hands and knees and hide from God in some dark dungeon. No, he got on his hands and knees and he cried out to God and said, Oh Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He was willing to give up the whole kingdom to have the Holy Spirit in his presence. That's why it's so important. It doesn't matter. You see, it's not what you add to your life that makes it great. Sometimes it's what you subtract from your life that makes it great. And a lot of people, and I know this for myself because God's been telling me that. He's been saying, what you're, son, what you're willing to walk away from will determine what I can bring you to. And so there's, there's a lot of people out there that are hung up on lots of things. I mean, you could make certain things your idol. I mean, your iPad could be your idol. You spend more time on that than you do with God. Well, the more time you spend with Him, the more power you have with God. You see, there's two different types of fear in the Bible. There's the fear of God, and there's the fear of man. And I heard, when I preached this message one time, somebody said, well, you know, the Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You see, this is where it's very important that when you read the Bible and a word jumps out at you, you have to do a Greek and Hebrew word study. You've got to look up the words. You owe it to yourself to look up the words. Why? Because you could fall into, into deception. Think about it. What is deception? What if you lived 75 years of your life and what you thought was true was in fact a lie? Well, how would you feel? There's a lot of people out there that live that way. They think that just being good and doing good deeds, that suddenly when they breathe their last breath, God's going to fling the gates of heaven open and they're going to come in and he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's scary. Because the Bible says, boast not of another day because you don't know what another day will bring. I could, I, I could have a heart attack in the middle of the night and not wake up in the morning. You have no idea. No one in here knows exactly the day and the hour that you're going to breathe your last breath. That's why it's so imperative that we live in the fear of the Lord. You see... That fear that Paul was talking about in, in, in Timothy, talking to Timothy, you see, Timothy was a young pastor, and he had some older men that were in the church, and the spirit of intimidation was upon him. And you see, when you read that word, the spirit of fear, that word fear there means timidity. And so there was a spirit of timidity that fell upon Timothy, so therefore, when he stood before the audience, he was basically had a blanket of intimidation over him, so he couldn't preach the word. And so what did Paul said? He said, stir up the gift on the inside of you, Timothy. There's a spirit of intimidation on you. And until you break that, the, the gifts have gone dormant in your life. How do we know that? Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? 
For if I please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So what is the fear of the Lord? What is it? The fear of the Lord, let me just say this, it's not to be afraid of God. For how can you have a relationship with God and seek Him when you're afraid of Him? That's not what it is. You see, Moses, when he was in the wilderness and he had the children of Israel with him, he told them, he said, do not fear God. God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Well, that kind of sounds like a contradiction. He says, do not fear for God has, not co- God has come to test you that his fear may be in you. You see, notice the words sound like they contradict themselves, but rather Moses differentiates between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord. This is the difference. The one who is afraid of God, like Adam and Eve, they have something to hide. Recall when Adam was in the garden, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. But see, to walk in the fear of the Lord you stand in reverence of Him. You see, the fear of the Lord is to honor and esteem and value, respect and reverence Him above anything else or anyone else. It is to love what He loves and hate what He hates. The fear of the Lord will drive you when you turn on the TV and you're watching a movie and they start using God's name in vain and they're cussing and the Holy Spirit will say, turn that off. You're going to do two choices. You're either going to listen to it and watch it, or you're going to shut it off. It's as simple as that. Because God's watching. He knows. He knows. Do you want to walk in holiness in which no man shall see the Lord? Or do you just want to blatantly just walk through this thing hoping that you make it? This has been something. I know this is a hard message. I know it is. But the Lord's been dealing with me on this for so long. This has been something that I know that if the world or the United States could hear this message in every church and every pulpit, we would have a different society. We wouldn't have men marrying men. We wouldn't have all these professors in Harvard University saying that, that, you know, people don't know, you know, what sex they are when these are supposed to be the wisest people that are sending people and raising them up and sending them out throughout the world. Think about it. So what is wisdom? Proverbs, as Cole mentioned earlier, it says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not man's wisdom, God's wisdom. God's wisdom. You see, the fear of the Lord in Proverbs 1.7 is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and, and instruction from God. They mock at it. You see, the fear of the Lord keeps us from departing. You see, Christians wouldn't backslide if they had the fear of the Lord firmly planted in their hearts. We wouldn't slip or drift away from our steadfast devotion to Jesus. We wouldn't take His word for granted or treat it casual. We wouldn't flirt with sin, which causes believers' hearts to harden and eventually fall away. When you get some spare time, look up Hebrews 3.12, and it talks about 
when you hear the word and you receive the gospel of truth and yet you turn away from it, it gives a description of what's going to take place. You see, Proverbs 14, 12, it says this. The wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way. A lot of times, when you think you're right, but unless you filter it through the Word of God and ask God to search your heart on a continual basis, deception, I mean, that's one of the things, the key things that, that when the disciples came to Jesus and said, what would the, what, show us the sign of the times. Tell us what the sign will be when you come back. And he said the number one thing that would be present would be deception. He said, let no one deceive you. And then he goes on to say that even the very elect would be deceived. That's pretty fearful if you ask me. So what keeps you from being deceived? Walking in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to say that over and over and over again. You see, Jesus made this sobering statement in Matthew 7, 13. He said, Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many choose the easy way. As in the majority. As in the majority What's the easy way? But then he goes on to say, but the gateway to life is small and the road is narrow and only few ever find it. If you really want to look at this, this is a prophecy because he's telling you what it's going to be like. He's saying few find it. Why? Because they don't fear God. They don't walk in the fear of the Lord. They just, they're just blatantly you know, walking into a church. Just you know, They have no reverence and they just think that you know, if they just do some good deeds or whatever, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if God, I, I know that God had mercy with the guy on the cross when he said, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom, but I'm talking about those that go continually day after day after day after day, week after week, that know the truth. Because Jesus gives many, many warnings. You see, we need to remind ourselves of the fact that judgment day is coming. It's coming. And in fact, when you realize that and you recognize that and you constantly remind yourself that, you will walk in the fear of the Lord. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our bodies. And Hebrews 9.27 says, and it is appointed for men once to die once, but after this, the judgment. You don't just float on clouds when you breathe your last breath and just go off into some Shangri-La somewhere. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, a, it'll be a frightening thing for those that, that aren't listening and they're just shunning this thing as if they've got all the time in the world to come and get this thing right. No, the Bible says this is the day of salvation. You don't wait until six months down the road, two months or two, four years, or when you have a different job or you're married and you got everything. No, it, this is the day. Why? Because you don't know if you'll wake up tomorrow. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, and I shall bring my wages and rewards 
with me to repay and render to each one just what his actions and his work merit. You see, judgment delayed is not judgment denied. We, we talked about that. And, he, and Paul says that 1 Timothy 5.24, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some follow after. And then Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8.10, he said, I have seen the wicked people buried with honor. How strange that they were the very ones who frequented the temple, meaning church, and are praised in the very city where they committed their crimes. And he goes on to say, These corrupt people frequently went to the temple, church, and were well thought of. When a crime is not punished, people feel it's safe to do wrong, but even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. Ecclesiastes 8, chapter 8, verse 11. Why will they be better off? Because they fear God. They fear God. James forewarned us, and James, the great judge, is coming. He is standing at the door, James 5, 9. And the Lord will judge his people. Hebrews 10, 30, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, you see, Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 6, 22, and I've read this before and I didn't see this. The, the, the Lord like enlightened my eyes of my understanding to see this. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says, Your eye is a lamp for your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul. But an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness. If the light you think you have is really darkness, meaning your perception of the light that you think you have is word, meaning you're deceived in the light you really think you possess, how deep that darkness will be. You see, Jesus was talking to believers referring to the light that you think you have. What is that light? You see, light exposes darkness, right? Salt irritates and Jesus always return, refers to the believers as salt and light in this world. You see, 2 Peter 1.19, because of that we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament. And, and he says in New, New Living Translation, he says, pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a light shining in a dark place until the day Christ appears and His brilliant light shines in your hearts. So who are they? These are the prophets. Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea. They spoke of the fear of the Lord constantly. Constantly. You see the light of Christ bursts through the darkness. Bringing illumination to your heart. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.18. And we've been praying this in our church. Many men in here have been praying this. And, and, and the prayer is this. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us, who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Open up your Bible, and if you just open this book up as if you're just going to read a story from National Enquirer, 
you're probably not going to get a whole lot. But when you open the book, God's Word, His Holy Word, and you say, Lord, enlighten the eyes of my understanding. Search my heart as I read Your Holy Word and speak to me, Lord, so I know the hope of the calling that You have in my life. Suddenly now, the Holy Spirit's been invited to come in and invade your life, invade your heart, invade your mind, your will, your emotions. And suddenly now his, his, his word begins to really come alive in you. Things that you thought you didn't know, you begin to know. Why? Because the Bible says if a man lacks wisdom, ask of God and he'll give it to you. Where's that found? That's in James. And I'll tell you, I lack a lot of wisdom. Until this message, there was a, I didn't, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know and I still don't know. I'm still learning. And I'll, I'll be learning till the day I die. Anybody that says that they know everything about God, don't believe them because they still don't, there's still much more to be had. And in fact, you know this because when John the Revelator, I just saw this, I don't want to get sidetracked, the Bible says he was with the Lord on the Lord's day when he was writing the, writing the uh, book of Revelation. And he said he heard a voice behind him saying, well, what's that mean? That means he wasn't looking over towards where the Lord was. He heard a voice behind him. Where's, is there another scripture like that in the Bible? Absolutely. It's in Isaiah. And it says, this is the way, walk in it. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What's that mean? That means if you hear a voice behind you, the shepherd's back here and you're leading yourself. That's what that means. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They won't listen to the voice of a stranger. They'll listen to his voice. So what voice are you listening to? And if you're not hearing the voice of God, you need to go for it because the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. He'll give, he'll give unto you possibly greater than He's given unto me based on your faith. You see, God doesn't respond to your need. He responds to your faith that you have in Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For they that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek Him. You see, the initiative always rests with us, not God. You have to diligently seek Him before He can reward you. The door is open unto you. Yeah, ask, seek, and knock. You see, Psalms eighteen twenty-eight says, For you will light my lamp, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. It goes with that scripture that Jesus was talking about. When you search Him, any darkness in your life, any hindrances that, may, that the enemy, Satan, might set up, God will give you discernment to see those things. There might be people in your life that God doesn't want you to walk with. Some of those people might be people that you know that call themselves Christians, that are a hindrance to you. Because they're not walking in the fear of the Lord. And so they're going to sidetrack you this direction to the broad road rather than take you down the narrow road. You see, this is why, G, well, this is why David said, Search my heart, O God, know my heart. Test, test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. When you pray prayers like that, God really begins to see that you really have and you understand that you have nothing to hide. He even knows your thoughts. He knows. He knows everything. So he's just basically saying, just get it all out right now. 
Walk with me in intimacy. Walk with me in holiness. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of your soul and spirit. And he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Verse 13 says, For everything is open to him to whom he must give an account. He knows. But he just doesn't want us to wait till we breathe our last breath. He wants us to know Him now, intimately, while we're here on this earth. That's God's desire for every one of you and every person on this planet right now. You have, a, you have as much of God in you as you're willing to go after. You see, we can't speak of drawing near to God in James 4.8 without addressing holy fear. You see... Isaiah 29.13 says this, And as much as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. You see, the fear of the Lord is the key to walking in the spirit of, of walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. For Acts 19.31 says, when you read in the book of Acts, why did they have such an impact? Why were they seeing such miracles? Why were they in unity with one another? Have you ever thought about that? They were, making, they, they, they were shaking the world. Because the Bible says in Acts 9.31, it says that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord went hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 8, 11 through 14 says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things one may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, meaning practical wisdom, and find knowledge and direction, and, or I'm sorry, and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What did I say earlier? The fear of the Lord is to love what God loves and hate what He hates. I heard the Lord tell me one time because I wanted the Spirit, I wanted the Holy Spirit, I wanted more presence of God in my life. And I just felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, it's not going to happen because you tolerate sin. And so and then I heard that voice speaking to me, what you're willing to walk away from will determine what I can bring you to. And that's as plain as day. It's like black and white. I just, I, when I go to bed at night, I actually think about that. I see that. You see, Proverbs 23, 17 says this, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. It means, are you, are you guys seeing this? Are you seeing what the message is here tonight, the fear of the Lord? Do you think the fear of the Lord is important in the life of a believer? You see, 1 Peter Chapter 1, 13 through 17, and I'll read it to you out of the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you are his children. Do not slip black into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then. 
but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself said, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. He will judge and reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners here on the earth. This isn't just an Old Testament belief. This is what gets results. This is what gets results. Now, I know I've been hitting some hard scriptures here, but I'm, I have to build this foundation up to get to the good stuff, okay? So, I mean, I'm not like trying to just, you know, be total dreadful, but you see, you see, listen, in the Old Testament, when Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, what did he say? He said, let my people go so they can worship, absolutely. Most people say, they could go to the promised land. But see, why would Moses bring the children of Israel out of bondage, bring him into the promised land before bringing him, in, bring him to the promiser? Because if they bring him into the promised land, they're going to take the promised land and make it a place of idolatry. Because they're going to love the promises rather than the promiser. It's almost like a, a, a woman marrying a man for his money rather than for who he is. You see, it's one thing to, to go to God for things. I mean, God loves to bless his children. I'm not saying that that's not it. But when you come to God for who he is, that's when you have an intimate relationship with him. That's when you really truly find intimacy with the Holy Spirit because you know that you could be content with very little, even though he wants to bless you, pressed down, shaken together. God wants to open up the doors of heaven and bless you and give you blessings you just simply can't contain. But when you come to him for who he is, rather than for what he can do for you, things begin to change. Your hunger begins to change. Your passion begins to change. And you begin to want to be in his presence more and more and more. Go ahead and put up Isaiah 11, 12, chapter 11. Now look at this. This right here is the sevenfold anointing upon Jesus. You see, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Isaiah says. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3 says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Whose delight? Jesus. He delights in the fear of the Lord. He takes pleasure in the fear of the Lord. Understand, these seven spirits that are right here in Isaiah 11, 2, are the same seven spirits that are sitting at the throne of of God in Revelations 1.4. This is very, very important to the life of the believer. In fact, I have made this my daily prayer that God would give me. Because Jesus said, he said, he said, it's good that I go. Why? Because the things that I do, you're going to do, and greater things that you do that I did. Because I go to my Father, right? 
So if that's the case, would it be possible that you could pray these things into your life? Absolutely. I've made this my prayer. I just said, Lord, I want to baptize me in the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, and the fear of the Lord. Baptize me in the fear of the Lord. I want to know you in the fear of the Lord. I want to know your glory like Moses knew your glory. The Bible says, I want to go from glory to glory to glory, because that's in the New Testament for the believer. So his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Ver Isaiah 33, 6. Isaiah 33, 6 says this, Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. And he says, The fear of the Lord is his treasure. God, did you know that God has a storehouse? He's got a treasure house, and there's a key that unlocks that. There is a key that unlocks that door for the life of the believer. What is it? It's the fear of the Lord. Because that's his key for the believer. When you walk in the fear of the Lord, guess what? Your prayers are answered. Your prayers are answered. Hebrews 5, 7 says this. He, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers, who's he talking about? Jesus. And supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death was heard because of his godly fear. You see, it's one thing to pray, folks. It's another to be heard. You want to be heard when you pray. You want to hope that it's just not some random chance that it's going to be heard. You know it's heard because you're walking in intimacy with him. You're walking in the fear of the Lord. I'm confident in saying this, that as I close, that the fear of the Lord is the vitality in running your race, enduring to the end, finishing well, and being well-pleasing to God while you're here on this earth, and having intimacy with God and His Holy Spirit. That's the key. This is the key. The delight of the fear of the Lord should be our delight. You see, uh, Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Greek word there for fear and trembling is wor the word, Greek word 5401. In a moral sense, fear, reverence, respect, honor of God, Christ, meaning a deep reverential sense of accountability to God and Christ. Hebrews 12.28 says, Serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So what are the blessings of the fear of the Lord? Well, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, for by me your days will be multiplied. Your days will be multiplied. Your life won't be cut short. You see, show me a Christian who doesn't fear the Lord, and I'll show you a Christian who has no wisdom. He doesn't know what God is trying to do in his life. You see, you will serve who you fear. And if you fear man, you'll, you'll fear man. But see, here's the blessings of fearing God. You see, fearing God positions our hearts to receive answers. We said that in Hebrews 5.7. And it assures the fear of God assures that God's great goodness abounds in your life. That's in Psalms 31, 19. 
It promises angelic protection. Psalms 34, 7. Dolores and I were talking about that before service. It secures God's continual attention, supplies His provision, contains great mercy, provides assurances of food, promises protection, fulfills our desires and delivers us from harm. If I could get the piano. Oh, yeah, please come back. (laughs) Teresa, my mind, my mind is... It provides peace of mind. God will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll lay in bed at night. You won't have fear and worry. You see, when you worry, you have faith and fear. God says He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But the Bible says God will give you a sound mind. When you sleep at night, you're not worrying about what's going to happen on the job. You're not worried about how you're going to get your money. Why? Because the Bible says He gives you the power to get wealth. He will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about the future. Why? Because He's already there. Don't worry about your past because your past is forgiven. When you're in Christ and you're crucified with Him and you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you have renewed strength. God gives you the ability to to see secret things that others don't know. The Bible says God shares His secrets to those who fear Him. So I know, have we gone over? Probably, huh? We're right on time. Well, this is the Lord because I couldn't have done that. Well, let me just close with this. I'm just going to make this kind of random. Can we, can we get the lights, please? If you just maybe turn the lights down. All right. Thank you. Maybe you're in here right now and maybe you know the Lord or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you haven't put him as the Lord of your life. Maybe you know Him as Savior, but you don't know Him as Lord. Or maybe you've been going to church, but this message of the fear of the Lord has really impressed it upon you, and the Holy Spirit is just tugging on your heart, saying, this is the way, walk in it. And He's knocking on the door of your heart right now. And He's saying, this is the truth to live by. You see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God came to them and He said, where art thou? Think about that. You see, the Bible says God's all-knowing. He knows everything about you. But you see, God, it wasn't like God was lost. He didn't know where they were. He knew where they were. He was just asking them the question, do you know where you are? Where are you, Adam? We used to walk together. We named the animals together. We walked in the cool of the day. But now where are you, Adam? Where are you? And as God was calling Adam that very day, he might be calling you right now saying, where are you? Where are you, my dear? Where are you, my son? 